Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Mackenzie Davis on Happiest Season, a look back at Terminator and her comfort movie, Death Becomes Her. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I realized as I was reading that introduction that to try to say death becomes her in a happy voice is a little bit odd. But um, I am uh, happy to say that Mackenzie Davis chose Death Becomes Her because that is a great kick-ass movie. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Mackenzie Davis, my guest today on the podcast, first-time guest on Happy, Sad, Confused. Delighted to have her on. She's somebody that I've wanted to talk to in this format for quite a while. She's another one that I've chatted with in these brief little red carpet silliness back when we were able to do such silly things, uh, but never really got a chance to sit down with her for an extended chat. Um, you probably know her from a variety of things in recent years. Uh, she was in Blade Runner 2049. She was on Halt and Catch Fire. She was in that great Black Mirror ep episode, San Junipero. Uh, and now she's starring in Happiest Season, which if you don't know, is this delightful new holiday rom-com on Hulu. By the time you listen to this, it is there for your uh, viewing pleasure if you subscribe to Hulu. And and I guess the, the wrinkle to this, the twist on this, which sounds absurd to say, is, I mean, it's a very traditional holiday rom-com. It just so happens that, gasp, the two leads are both women? What? Well, it is 2020. Um, so it took a while to get a kind of like mainstream holiday rom-com that had a gay love story in the center of it, but we made it. We're here. So hopefully, you know, the novelty of this uh, becomes uh, an afterthought very quickly. Uh, frankly, this movie just works for what it is, which is a very traditional, um, fun um holiday rom-com and we need like one or two of those a year right so this one definitely fits the bill it stars Mackenzie Davis alongside Kristen Stewart you know her we love her um and and a, a really fun group Dan Levy's in this Allison Breeze in this Aubrey Plaza's in this Victor Garber Mary Steenburgen. version it's got a great great ensemble so if you're looking for a fun diversion this holiday weekend definitely recommend Happiest Season and definitely recommend this conversation with Mackenzie about her life and career um, about her, her movie-going tastes, which I found out were awesome. Like, I mean, she sought out Blade Runner. She was a big Blade Runner fan, point in my book. She name-checks Mad Max Fury Road, point in my book. And she chose, and I say this often, like, oh, this is this company movie really works for me. This one really, this is, if I had to name one of my top 10 Josh Horowitz comfort movies, it's safe to say Death Becomes Her would be on the top 10. This, of course, is the, the dark comedy from Robert Zemeckis, written by David Kep. Um, I think it came out in the early 90s, maybe 1990, something around there. We mentioned it in the actual conversation, but it starred Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep and Bruce Willis, and it is a weird, dark take on, on beauty and vanity um, and... And it's it's also a part of like as I mentioned with Mackenzie this weird like spate of like um, rivalry antagonistic stories the things like Throw Mom from the Train or Dirty Ron Scoundrels I loved those kinds of movies growing up and Death Becomes Her was one I always delighted in so that was a fun treat to have an excuse to geek out with Mackenzie about that one 
Um, other things to mention in the Josh Horowitz universe that you may want to check out. I mentioned Kristen Stewart starring in Happiest Season. I am delighted to say Kristen Stewart is the latest guest on Stir Crazy, my series for Comedy Central. Um, lots of fun with Kristen. If you know my work, if you've heard me on the podcast before or seen my MTV stuff, you know that I go way back with Kristen all the way to the Twilight days. So a lot of fun having kind of a silly conversation filled with games and stupid questions and, um, you know, fun to mix it up with Kristen in a different kind of format. And I know if you appreciate her as much as I do, you will have a blast with that one. On the more straight and narrow path, um, some really fun conversations I had in recent days with Letitia Wright, who is just, I was going to say poised for success, but she's already killing it, you know, thanks. In most in part, you've all seen her in, in Black Panther as Shuri, but I had a great chat with her for MTV News. Also had a great chat with Kelly Marie Tran for MTV News. Um, she's in the new Crudes movie. She's also in the Lego Star Wars holiday special. Also check that out. That's really fun. That's on Disney+. Plus. Um, so yeah, so two fun interviews that are um, not as crazy as Stir Crazy, but still uh, fun in their own right. And those those chats are available on MTV News' YouTube channels and Facebook, etc. Um, look on my social media. You'll see me tout those for all your viewing pleasure. Um, before we get to the main event, I just want to wish you all, if, you, if Thanksgiving is coming up, if you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, I hope you guys have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. This is obviously a crazy year. If you're lucky enough to be with your loved ones in a safe way, great if not, I'm sorry. We're all sorry. This year sucks, let's be honest. But the finish line is in sight. The vaccines are on the way, guys. Let's be safe. Let's be smart in these next few months and get through it and make 2021 a return to normalcy. I know I could use it, and I think we all could. So, again, I hope you guys have a really great Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, if you're looking for some distractions... That's what the podcast is for. That's what Stir Crazy is for. That's what all the stuff I do is for. It's for you guys. Uh, here it is, my main event of the day, my chat with Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis, welcome to the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so excited to have a long conversation. We were just chatting and we were saying that, um, yeah, I feel like I've had a t probably a total of like four and a half minutes of conversation with you on like four different press lines. So I know the thing I hate about press lines is not just that you just get those short snippets of conversation, but also the whole environment. Like I get really in a way that I hate like quite drunk on the energy of urgency and moving forward and all these people in a room so you end up just presenting like the the most sort of intense the manic horrific version, version of, of yourself yeah. for like 30 seconds and uh yeah I always feel so embarrassed afterwards <laughs> well if it's any consolation it's the same on the other side of the carpet too for me it's like I'm a generally chill like subdued guy and it like I, I'm I get shocked like, at the tone of your voice right now it's, <laughs> you're like you're like why aren't unfamiliar. you like screaming a crazy question yeah. at me <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was trying. Yeah. I think the last time I saw you was at was at Comic Con for Terminator: Dark Fate. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was trying to will into existence you getting cast as Catwoman, thanks to the fan casting that was going on. Oh my at the god! Time. Yeah, it didn't I, I work, guess dude. I, what the I fuck? failed you. That's what I'm going to say. Although, as an outsider, I'm like, no, Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> that's the correct choice. <laughs> well, sure, you would have been great as well. But yeah, Zoe will kill it. So I, I take Very it. 
beautiful and feline though. I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's carrying on the sort of Michelle Pfeiffer tradition of a, yeah. You didn't get the call after, after our important conversation. You didn't get the, the, the audition, the call, no anything? No call. After you and I spoke for those 30 seconds and I gave you a bad <laughs> version of myself. No one rang. It's confirmed. I have zero power in Hollywood. I'm sorry. Um, but I am curious, like, because I've talked to many actors over the years, and sometimes actually that stuff does work, frankly, where you kind of like put out into the ether or something, and then it kind of comes back around. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, what's your attitude about kind of going after jobs? Are you kind of, do you like way back and sort of like let them come to you? Do you kind of like when you hear about a project say, yeah, throw my name into the mix? What's What's the general... Well, I always feel like such a bad businesswoman where I never, I don't find out about things early enough. Like, I would have just killed to be in any version of Mad Max. And I never heard about it ever. And I always (laughs) just found out too late where I was like, but I would like to. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, exactly. The only thing I ever felt like I had a sort of modicum of control or, or like cosmic contribution to. So I remember when I first joined my agency when I was like 24 years old and we were talking about, you know, what's like, what are dream jobs? What would you want to do? And one of the things I said, I was like, if they ever make a reboot of Blade Runner, please, like, I would kill somebody to be in it. I want to be Pris 2.0. And I, I just will, but I will be anything in it. Um, and it worked. Wow. Okay. That's, yeah. that's a, there's a lesson there. You're also, by the way, the movies you're dropping are the right movies. We can be friends because, and we're going to get to your comfort movie in a little bit, but frankly, not to ruin the reveal. But when I heard it, like I basically like screamed, ecstasy joy like i was just so happy to hear what you're oh i thought you were like i hate that movie and only now that i've heard the other movies are you no 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 no. we'll get to it we'll get to it but here's the other connection mackenzie i discovered in my copious research of you we you and i belong to a very important rare club you and i are april fools (gasps) oh my god do you know who else shares our birthday i i I know one other actor who are you gonna say who David Oyelowo. Oh, I knew that. I yeah. met him once and I knew that. And I think that's the only thing I said to him. And I'm sure he remembers me. Um, <laughs> Who are you going to say? Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> Mad Magazine? Yeah, the mascot of Mad Magazine. <laughs> proudest proudest data point growing up. And still, haven't grown out of it. <laughs> I think the only other one I remember growing up was um, uh, the guy that wrote Cyrano, Edmund Rostam. It means nothing to me, but that's all I remember. <laughs> Would abject silence be the right way to respond? Yes, that was the right response. <laughs> yeah. well, here's my question. Were you, is, is, is April Fool's a global holiday in Canada? Were you um, laughed at, mocked? Um, were there jokes no, at your expense? Did you, no, never. Did you have that experience? Because I always feel like whenever somebody asked me that, I was like, no, but was I not loved? Like, did people not care <laughs> enough people to do prank something? Me? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. There's not that many people that do April Fool's on a global scale, even if they're aware of the day that it falls on, it's a lot of effort to prank people, so. Yeah, I don't think I've ever um, actually been pranked as it were. It's more of just like silly asides, like you you must have been us a joke to your parents, that kind of but, thing. And that's, and that's it. And that makes me feel sad for the people saying, like it's such a lazy contribution where it's like, why wouldn't you just not speak at all? 
exactly. Instead of make a joke, it's not funny. Thank you for turning it around and making it about them instead of our set. It is about them, yeah. <laughs> so, so you ended up you though you were born and raised in Vancouver, as far as I know. Yes, you did end was, up in. Yeah. You, you ended up in New York City at what age? When did you end up? In At 22. Time? I went to university in Montreal and then I went to, um, I started doing this like nighttime Meisner class in Montreal and really fell in love with it. And then uh, my my teacher sort of suggested that I go to the neighborhood playhouse. So I, I got my degree in, in Montreal and then I went to uh, New York for theater school. Was and back in Canada was like Vancouver the the production hotspot it was uh, what, what, that it is now back when you were a kid. I think so. I mean, the X Files film there. Right. Um, I, I don't think it was as hot as it was as it is now. And uh, you know, anybody, any sort of grown ups I knew growing up who were actors had been on on every sort of local show. But there's always sort of a a bar for entry that you can't pass if you're a local actor. And I found that in Montreal as well when I was trying to audition for things that it would be like Ashton Kutcher's producing a new CW show and you're auditioning to be the lead and they're like oh no baby <laughs> this is just an exercise you will be cast as like a waitress right um so yeah there it wasn't uh, it wasn't like a highway to success but I really didn't I think I had like a kid's agent when I was in in Vancouver, but I, I never went on auditions. I never, I just loved being in plays at school. I wasn't, you know, um, chomping at the bit to get um, some like professional credentials. But, oh my God, it's snowing. It's a Sorry. miracle. It's the, it's the holiday. It's a miracle. <laughs> Suddenly the end of a Christmas carol. Mackenzie runs or out. Or somebody's screaming. throwing garbage outside my window. But no, that's New York. Something's that's falling. Modern. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what, um, yeah. what was New York for you when you moved, you said at 22, what, are, what do you remember about your first days here? Um, was it a struggle? Was it early success? What was it like? Well, I was, I mean, uh, socially it was fine. I, I went to this theater school that was really lovely. I liked my teachers. It was a bit, um, it was strange to go kind of after you'd already gone through university because I felt that for a a lot of people, it was their university. So I'd already gone through this, this sort of, I don't know, feeling of being away from home or, or you know, that, that sort of thrill of articulating your identity for the first time away from your parents. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I never felt like I really fit into that school, but, but I, I, I love going there and I really liked my, my teachers a lot. Um, and then, but I wasn't allowed to work when I was in theater school. So it was really two years of just, you know, studying all the time, which was amazing. I'd never thought that I would have that much time to devote to acting. It was always sort of a, a you know, thing I did at night by myself um, with other people, not just <laughs> staring into the mirror, just doing your own plays. That sounds. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of, I just moved to London and I was, it really felt like the first time I moved to New York or started spending a lot of time in New York before I, um, before I moved there where you'd like find yourself in little Italy and do sort of a, an arms out spin and look at the sky and be like, I can't believe I live here. Life has finally started. <laughs> well, it's um, an opportunity I, for, to reinvent again. Like, okay, this is the new, this is, this is, yeah, yeah. this is Mackenzie 2.0. This is, this is the next one. Yeah, I like that. I like that stuff a lot. I, I, I've moved so much in my life and started over a lot. And sometimes it feels maybe not healthy, but 
I do, I would like to find a place to stop moving. I just haven't found it yet. And I, but I do like kind of burning everything down and starting fresh. And going backwards then in terms of, so um, falling in love with acting, doing stuff in school. What about just sort of like your love of pop culture? Like where was your, if I'd met you as a teenager, what was your, what were your obsessions? What were you into? Were you like a, an acting snob? Were you into like cool highbrow acting? Were you into like big mass, you know, pop culture franchises, a little bit of everything or what? I don't know. I don't know why I, I, so I, I was just speaking about this with somebody the other day. I've never been like a real fan. Um, so I, I, especially when I was younger, I wouldn't, you know, find a, a director or a writer and then read or watch everything that they'd ever done. I um, watched movies all the time. My family watched movies all the time, but I don't think I really developed a taste for it until I was older. Um, I just loved watching people act and then talking about my opinion on it afterwards. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I have this memory of seeing, and I say this very self-deprecatingly, of seeing Moulin Rouge when I was like 15 years old and leaving the theater and being like, that's art, ladies and gentlemen. We've finally seen it. It cracked um, the code. Really funny to look back on. Um, but no, it wasn't really until I was older and in university that I feel like I started articulating my tastes a little bit more and seeking things out for myself. I don't even remember what, what music I was listening to in high school. I really feel, um, I don't know. Like You're I'm still defining your taste, of, it sounds like. Kind of, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I like to read a lot, but even that, it was always like a different book and whatever made me cry. I, I, I wasn't like fully in one author's canon, you know? Right. So this might, might be a good time to mention the the comfort movie, because I'm curious when and where you interacted with it and, and when it became an obsession. Why don't you tell the audience, oh, yeah. Mackenzie? Well, my comfort my movie comfort is, movie is, uh, is Death Becomes Her or death becomes her, which is something I also love to just savor when I was younger. <laughs> it's both. <laughs> um, <You> see? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's art. Um, and when did you see you know, it? When, when, movie I, came yeah, out when you were... seen it when I was like 11, maybe okay. younger. How, how, when did it come out? So you would have only been about five by my math. Oh, so wow. you must have yeah. seen it on, on TV or something. Yeah, I must have seen it on TV when I was older. I mean, we, my family, as every family did, took the, you know, bi-weekly trips to Blockbuster to choose the movies for the week and, uh, or every few days. And so a lot of stuff just came from what the front of the VHS cases looked like on the shelves. Um, but I feel like that movie, as with the best comfort movies, operates on one level when you're younger and then the more you watch it and the older you get it keeps sort of like moving and changing and uh i know we're talking about death becomes her but like deepening in this way i mean when i was younger it was funny in a way i didn't understand and it was like broad and colorful in a way i did understand and i knew that women wanted to be beautiful and that trapped for me without being critical of it at all and then when I was older I understood what the critique was a bit more and now at my age watching it I watched it like a year ago and um uh just somebody like Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn taking roles like this and having so much fun in their career and going like huge and campy and finding these like really 
like scenery chewing moments in these crazy parts i i would kill for something like that and it it's like shifted into this other dynamic of of like a type of bravery that i want to possess you know what i mean like yeah, no I totally not being precious about your career but being sort of broad and huge and and going in all directions because it's really fun to be an actor and to act and it's not always just cultivating the perfect resume well, yeah, I mean, these three ginormous movie stars at the time, uh, Meryl, Goldie Hawn, Bruce Willis, um, they're playing, like, especially Goldie and Meryl are playing despicable human beings, <laughs> like yeah. monsters that yeah. um, have almost no value. Meryl in particular is just fantastic. She can, is clearly having an amazing time in this. Um, amazing. It's funny because I just had Sarah Paulson do the podcast and she just chose uh, Meryl in Postcards from the edge and this was like oh, I've never seen that. Oh, it's a, you should check that one out that's Mike Nichols and that's a great one but Meryl was in this amazing run where I think in, in three consecutive years she was in postcards which is awesome this and defending your life which I don't know if you've seen is also oh Mackenzie trust me on this wow. defending your life is genius it's Albert Brooks and she is amazing in it and and just like proves I was that just not... watching a string of Albert Brooks movies and I didn't what? watch defending your life yeah no, defending your life is, is has kind of gotten a second life in recent years it wasn't I think at the time considered one of his best ones but what did you see like lost in America perhaps or no I was watching what was the the documentary within a documentary about building the Yes, the uh, the reality show. They're like, oh my god, uh, real life. Oh uh, no. Yeah, yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, have, something yeah. else. Life. Yeah. Yes. I knew but, I wanted to watch a movie about life. <laughs> but um, but anyway, yes, I I do I I agree with you that these are clearly actors that are enjoying kind of taking the piss out of their own occupation a bit. Um, and you're right. Like I watched it again last night, and I've probably seen it twenty times in my life at least. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like that there there. It is like especially as a kid, and I saw it as a kid too. Yeah, they're kind of act. It's like heightened. Like Bruce Willis is like in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like he's doing like triple takes. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like they. I guess the material and the approach kind of lent itself to kind of being big and broad, and that's a rare thing for an actor in a in a legitimately smart movie. It's often in like a shitty movie. It's like you can be big and yeah. broad. It's like a kids movie, but this is like actually a smart satire. Yeah, yeah, and I mean there was you know. Yeah, I really want that. I, I feel sometimes like a little too serious about the whole thing. And maybe it's because there isn't this, you know, sort of well of money that's going towards making these like big, broad, like who framed Roger Rabbit. And right. I know it's not probably financed in the same way, but like Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, these yeah. like juicy, crazy movies that have like a very singular aesthetic and point of view and characters that you haven't seen before. Um, and that are well funded. They're not. They're not you. You know, taking time off from. I don't know. Not that I. I no, I get that, it. That sort of sounds other than I mean. But just um, does it, I don't find a lot of space for that right now. And and that's probably on me. But I I I like feel very inspired by those performances as the sort of um, ideal way to approach a career. Like work, 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 and then have so much fun with the thing that you built and dismantle it and then build it up again and then like yep. uh, I don't know it just seems so um noble in a weird way so so for for the sad audience member that hasn't seen this movie I'm going to give some basics this came out July 31st 1992 it's written by David Kep, who if you don't know is like actually one of the most successful screenwriters 
ever. He wrote Jurassic Park and a ton of like highly successful films directed by the amazing Robert Zemeckis. And this, this was interesting. This came right after the Back to the Future trilogy and right before Forrest Gump. It felt like he had the juice at the time to kind of like make his like really dark twisted comedy at a yeah. decent budget level. And I love that yeah. about it. Um, we mentioned, it's also kind of cool. Like, yeah, from an acting perspective, as much as it's like a big special effects movie, there's really only like four significant roles in the film. It's, yeah. It's that trio. And then, and I then guess Isabella could, Rossellini. Who, by the way, like kills it. Incredible. <laughs> Seared into my, my mind and my memory. I was just, working on something and she's the the inspiration for this type of woman in this thing but she's just oh my god walking into that like dripping cavern and she's wearing a loincloth and then has that vile knife on her leg and pulls it out I mean the interesting thing about this as well as I was saying like not being aware of any of the critiques or satire within the movie and watching it as a child god movies are impressionable or you are impressionable when you watch movies as a child because you only pick up on on the sort of worst parts of it like I only picked up on it's it's bad to grow old but it's worse to push back against it and then being sexy is the best and that's this moment (laughs) (laughs) so that's why you have to watch movies like you know 15 times and then you can change those perceptions but it's uh yeah do you have any, um, do any scenes jump out at you as your favorite moments or lines or uh, sequences? Uh, no, I mean, I, I have more like really intense visual recollections of it, the Isabella Rossellini thing I was just saying. And then yeah. I think the, the, the funeral at the end of the movie where their skin is just peeling off and they have to use spray paint and like spray adhesive to keep re-adhesing their skin to their necks and their bodies. Um, and Meryl's still, I think, backwards. Uh, no, I think or has her head twisted around again? I think well, well by the end, they, they, their heads are removed from their bodies. But if, when they're sitting at the funeral, they're still their heads are facing at the right funeral. Way. Yeah, I just <laughs> that their whole like who's on first sort of routine that they do at the funeral. Um, it, I just yeah, and they're just falling apart. I also like that. Yeah, I mean, like as much as I like Bruce Willis as a badass, I might like him more as like a like pathetic weaselly sad sack that's what's so nice about him he really plays only or he's most famous for playing only those two versions even moonlighting a little bit he's like he's not a badass he's not like totally pathetic but he he like subverts this this masculinity that he's built up which is so cool um i'm trying to think of another movie where he's like really dripping Adam Scott's like that as well, where he's either like the nicest or the absolute worst person. Um, <laughs> have you worked with any of these leading performers? Have you met any of them, interacted? No, no, I haven't. Okay. I, I went to school in Vancouver and at a certain point, um, uh, Wyatt, her son was going, who's also an actor and great, but um. Right. Uh, came to join my school and he was in the year ahead of us and there was just I mean Vancouver's not a small city but you you know you always feel like you're a small town especially in Canada so you don't have like movie stars coming around and I just remember like whispers of Goldie Hawn being on campus when I was in a school play and I was like it's happening Mackenzie (laughs) she's gonna see you she's gonna take you away from here I'm with me kid yeah 
it's never really happened like that. <laughs> so no, I haven't met her to answer your question in a much more direct way. You know, it's interesting. The the famous uh, I was looking up sort of like the casting what ifs. Uh, Bruce Willis replaced another. Ama- I mean, this actor would have done an amazing job too. Kevin Klein was going to play Ernest Melville, and he. Oh wow. But you know, you don't get that same texture that you get with Bruce Willis. Like it's, there, it there's, you're, you're not undoing a thing. I, I, exactly. It's, he's not playing against type, which is rewarding in yeah. its own way. Um, I also like that. Like when I think about it, there was almost like a weird like subgenre at the time in like the late 80s, early 90s that doesn't really exist anymore. And you were kind of alluding to it. It's partially just because like there's less of everything. Like, you know, there's the $200 million movies and there's Netflix making everything else. But um, there were like, these kind of like weird competitive revenge movies. There was like and dark comedies. There was uh, Dirty Ron Scoundrels. There was Throw Mama from the Train. There was Ruthless People. There was uh, War of the Roses. And mm-hmm. when I think about it, I don't know what it says about me, but these are like, I'm listing like my favorite movies of all time, basically. So what I'm saying is that genre needs to come back. You so. have a vendetta. Yeah. Oh I yeah, do. no, that's sorry, genre. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's I, just fun. Yeah. To, I guess it's fun to watch people be mean. I mean, that's, I mean, sadly, the one of the lessons. Yeah, mean and like, they're like the Hulk, the women in that movie, like they're energized <laughs> by their vitriol. They, they, well, they're falling apart, but they also like, they, they're so like, engorged with envy or something that they become powerful and sort oh, of beautiful while being like just pursuing this sort of awful <laughs> thing i really yeah having now done something like terminator that was so had so many visual effects when you watch something like this in recent times do you have a different kind of appreciation this was this was the beginning of digital technology but zakis is always at the forefront for whatever he's doing um do you watch it differently now knowing they have obviously had some hardships to go through to make it look as great as it did maybe i was just uh, sort of to go back way further than that i was just watching um sisters the uh the oh, de palma, de palma movie yeah, yeah. um which is so great uh but the special effects in that movie and then i was watching something else that was like four years later and the effects were so much better but the 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 practical effects on on sisters are so bad that it's hard like the the first reveal of the the separation scar is is so creepy and like kind of looks like a loose temporary tattoo and the progress between that and then five years later kind of blows me away more than death becomes her determinator (laughs) no that makes sense i mean like why did you this couldn't have looked good on the day i understand like there's certain things that we simply could not do without you know the advent of, of computers and, and animation and all of these things but to just make a scar look real i mean we must have looked at this and everyone was like <laughs> you have eyes yeah, it's no. fine we'll we'll pan we won't hold on it we'll just pan no one will notice well, and, and the funny thing is i do think of like some of some of my favorite films like in the horror or thriller genre that used prosthetics back then do actually hold up. I think of early Cronenberg films. Uh-huh. I think of John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, yeah. Those films, because there was real artistry. I mean, yeah, I mean, De Palma's an artist too, but maybe his, like, sc- the person that did that scar wasn't the artist, who knows? But but I guess my point is, no, if it's but done then if right, you watch they... them, Yeah. Have you ever seen Possession? I just watched that. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's amazing. Wait, who I mean, did Possession? Who directed that? Zalowski, that Polish okay. director. Okay. It's incredible. It's with, um, 
oh god what's her name that beautiful italian actress she was married to daniel Lee lewis um uh, it's from the 70s anyways okay. special effects in that incredible really gorgeous doesn't feel cheesy there are there are daggers drawn across necks there's lots of blood there's there's demons and it still feels like I don't know, maybe it's a lighting thing. Um, but anyways, not to rail on De Palma. I really uh, like that movie. <laughs> oh, De Palma's one of my favorite filmmakers of all yeah. time. So don't worry, it's all good. So it seems like you have made up for lost time. You were talking about like, yeah, I was just kind of trying things out in high school, watching different things. Like you seem to know your shit when it comes to movies now. Was there, did you feel like in your 20s in the last few years, like you you kind of just redevoted yourself to kind of like, I'm going to go through the AFI top 100 <laughs> or what's like, where did where did the film knowledge come from? You know, I really felt like I got to college and felt like on day one, the friends that I met and the, the people that then were my friends for years or are my friends, um, like I, I it somehow felt like I'd never gone to school before that. Like I somehow had learned nothing in 18 years and that I just felt like I now needed to become an autodidact because my high school didn't do it for me. <laughs> I don't know what that's saying. I just wasn't smart in high school, wasn't studious, didn't obviously develop any very strong taste, but I got to university and just felt like I needed to read every book that I'd never read and and like educate myself about music and about film. And, um, and it became, I ended up living with these people. And so there was just this really nice culture of us all sort of it's exactly what it sounds like. I went to college <laughs> and I, I, I met kids that I liked and thought were smart and cool. And I wanted to be smart and cool like them. And, uh, uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I loved movies when I was younger, just didn't have the sort of that key that you find in a lot of people that are reading Dostoevsky when they're 14 and, you know, obsessed with French new wave. Like I didn't have that. Right. <laughs> that uh adolescence but um but I always loved movies I just took longer to develop my taste did you so segueing into your new film happiest season you're working with some people that I know for a fact are some cinephiles like I've talked to Kristen a lot over the years and she she loves yeah. her movies Have, did you bond with Kristen over shared tastes exposing each other to different yeah. movies yeah a ton I mean hot topic while we were shooting was the two popes which I hadn't seen and she watched and was like this movie is so undermarketed. <laughs> it is such a like punk, cool, incredible. Have you seen it? Yeah. It's, I can't tell from your reaction, but I No, I did like it. it. Yeah. I thought it Absolutely. was yeah, shocking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and just was marketed as the most boring. I, I just don't know. They just so underserved that movie um, and didn't publicize it at all, but it was really, I don't know, it felt so unusual. Um, but yeah, Kristen's got an amazing taste in movies. She watches a ton of movies and she's a huge reader. I I, I really like talking about books with her. I, I mean, she's adapting a um, uh, Lydia Yuknovich book and I'd never read anything by her and she she shared a lot of her books with me and it was, uh, it's great. It's the same thing as going to college. You just want to find friends that have, that are smarter than you and have um, information that you don't so you can look smarter yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so do you find that the career you know again I have these endless conversations with actors and like I think a lot of people just assume that they can steer their own ship and the reality is a lot of it's just sort of like 
taking the best material at the, at the right time, right? Like this is the best thing offered to me, et cetera. But like looking from the outside in, this comes after Terminator and you couldn't, mm -hmm. you can't get further from Terminator to happiest season. Did it feel mm -hmm. like a bit of a palate cleanser? Like I've just put my body through hell. I just went to war. Let me have some fun in a nice holiday rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> like completely. I loved me. I Terminator was so fun to make, but it was so hard. Not just like I worked out for six months, but we just shot night shoots for over like two months. We shot six day weeks by the time we were done with it, getting in at, you know, four in the morning for a workout, leaving at 11 at night and then having five hours to yourself before you start again. It was so intense. And I think I got home in November and around that time I that's when I read happiest season and I was like the only way <laughs> I will be able to work in the next few months is if I'm like entering this beautiful nest of warmth and lightness and like lovely women to work with and humor and uh because I just couldn't see myself like I I, I needed to really heal after after that output um yeah. so did you shoot it before the film actually came out or just after you shot it, after you shot Terminator, but before the actual press tour and all that? No, 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 we shot it, um, we shot it this year. So we got delayed a year. So when I decided to do it, I thought I was doing it in three months and then um, and then it got pushed. So it came, it, we shot it January, February while, while the pandemic was approaching and we oh, wow. like everybody else just were, were like, well, it can't cross borders. <laughs> It'll never get here. <laughs> um such a weird little time capsule now to think of all the makeup trailer conversations every day yeah. coming in and being like seems like a big deal no totally like I was and like then, okay I've got my bags packed for south by southwest I'll be there in a couple oh, yeah. weeks and it's like yeah oh I wonder if I'll get to this next event and comic-con and it's like what the fuck was I thinking so insane no I was in New York after I finished happiest season I was gonna move there for a few months and uh anyways i went there and the city was shutting down i mean the day before the whole city shut down i saw two plays in a day and was like wow there's no one here and then i decided to go home to get my stuff on like the 13th of march and then the whole country sort of ceased <laughs> on the 17th and it's just this sort of willful ignorance and this pushing forward of our own agenda despite all evidence to the contrary god we're so unbelievably stubborn it's insane it's the whole the, this whole time has been such a weird reflection on like what information will allow into our lives and what we think we can deny through sheer force of will sadly apparently we're capable of denying quite a bit um i'm curious if the post-mortem on terminator dark fate which i honestly did really enjoy I, I i'm a big fan of that i know like box office wise it didn't perform the way the studio everybody wanted, you know, Tim's been very upfront about like there were struggles with James Cameron, et cetera, in the edit room. Did you feel like there was like you were pushing a boulder up a hill? Like, did it feel like this was a quote unquote troubled production? Like, what did it feel like to you? No, no, I wouldn't classify it like that at all. I mean, I there's creative conflict. Sure, there are always going to be if you really give a shit about what you're making, or else yeah. you just have somebody who's sort of parroting you know, the corporate interests instead of trying to make some type of art within this very corporate machine. Yeah. Um, but I, no, not at all. I, I love 
the experience of making that movie. It was hard and rigorous, as I've already said, but the people were amazing. Tim was an incredible director and just so dedicated and devoted to making it the best thing it could be. Um, as far as the box office and stuff, you know, it's Terminator 6. Like, nobody saw the last three. I get it. It's okay. It's okay. I, I don't think that means what we made was bad, but I understand that we, it, you know, the audience appetite had been exhausted. Um, how much you attribute that to there being three women in the lead. I don't know. I never really wanted to engage with that stuff because uh, I can't control it. I am a woman and I really like the part and I felt proud of what I did. So I couldn't be like, no one's seen it because they're sexist. It's like much, it seems like an easier answer for me to be like, all right, six is too much. Now we know. Right. Did, um, was your character ever, I mean, your character obviously didn't make it through the uh, end of the movie. Was that it? Was there any resurrection plan? Was there any plan if there were sequels that you were going to come back? When does an NDA expire? <laughs> You're not making it again. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't okay. think so either. Yeah, I don't know. I'm scared of everybody all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I think there was a, like, it was going to be sort of a timeline thing, sort of, where there'd be another timeline that you'd explore. Like, she, there, there's no resurrection, but, um, you know, she came from the future. So. so we go to the future, we get to see you in the future. Presumably. Yeah. Okay. 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 Look, look, yeah. look how they've drilled it into you. You're so. It's, I'm you're okay. scared. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hate this part of myself. I'm very Let's talk obedient. About... I like. No, I don't like. Let's talk about Blade Runner 2050 now. Um... Yeah. <laughs> now that's definitely expired. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> um, was the the Denis experience as amazing as it seems? That I mean, that guy is just the best. The best. I mean, dream come true, kind of, you know, when you hear a phrase too many times, it loses its impact. So, but let me tell you, a dream come true in every respect. I mean, I, I would have been in any version of a Blade Runner sequel because I just love that movie so goddamn much. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm such a fan of Denise. And then, you know, meeting somebody who's operating at that level of genius in terms of just holding a movie edited inside his head and is able to access it at any given moment. Um, but to, to work with somebody like that, who's also so kind and just aware that every single person on set is helping to make his moving. Yeah. That like the person that comes in and plays, you know, the waitress, or the whoever in this scene is as important to the scene that's a part of the movie that's the final product as is Ryan Gosling and he just made everybody feel so thanked I, I respected him respect him so much I think he's very special yeah that, that movie is a is a miracle but it's as amazing as it is I mean as you know as obviously as a fan of the, of the original Blade Runner you know what a high bar it is to reach that and somehow he did yeah. it it's it's kind of crazy yeah, um, I can't wait to see Dune. Oh, don't even get me started on Dune, please. <laughs> Mackenzie, we don't have that kind of time. Um, are you, so are you in London shooting right now? Like what's, what's your life right now? I'm not, I decided to move here. And as and you said, you, you, you did the, the twirl, the Mary Tyler Moore twirl when you got I to did, town. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I did. I, the, the camera craned up and I was the star of London. <laughs> 
Did anybody else know? Any city I go to. No, no, no. But (laughs) is is acting are acting gigs on the agenda? Are you ready to go back to work? Have you you haven't worked in this last few months? I take it. No, I haven't worked since we wrapped half the happiest season. I was supposed to shoot Station Eleven, which is this show about a pandemic um, that started shooting before. It was shooting in January, February, and then we took a hiatus because we needed the, for the weather to start again in May. So I was supposed to start shooting that in May in Chicago, and it got pushed. And now I'm gonna go do it in January. Um, well, that'll be a nice and, palate cleanser to do a fictional story of a pandemic while we're. Getting oh over yeah, the palate cleanser is the perfect, the perfect <laughs> expression. Yeah, it'll be great to just clean my palate with the thing my palate is made of. Um, <laughs> No, it's really interesting. There was a while where I was like, are they still going to make this? Is there an appetite for this? But I, I, I think it's really cool and great. And I was just went for a, a walk with um, one of the actors who's in the show who lives here. And he had been shooting the first two episodes in January and February in Chicago. And when it's all knit together, it's this very strange document of a show that started shooting before the pandemic was interrupted by a pandemic we will shoot the rest of the show during and then hopefully after the pandemic but when it's all knit together it'll be one storyline but so or or one timeline but so much has happened especially in his life you know going from episode three to four in this show and having the whole world having changed in between there between those two points um but I guess it's only interesting if you're aware of the production schedule, which <laughs> well, everybody is. But I'm like, what a cool thing. Document this of it, one yeah. show occupies so much history um, accidentally. Um, there are sadly no pandemics in Happiest Season, but maybe I think that's probably a good thing. Don't you think for the holiday season, maybe it's good to have a few nice 90, 100 minute escapes from the sad reality we've been all dealing with and that's that's exactly what this movie is um yeah i I think a pandemic escape room is that's exactly what it is it's definitely a pandemic escape room um this was much better than our silly little chats on red carpets but part of me hopes though we do we'll see each other on silly red carpets again because that means the world is back to its weird normal self um thanks for taking thanks for taking the time today and uh it's always a pleasure to meet a fellow april fool uh, I know. I'm so happy to know that. Well, thank you so much. This is so fun. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 